Welcome to the OFD Podcast, everyone. My name is Joshua Voles, Site Manager, Emperor, Supreme Warlord, and Defender of the Faith over at OneFootDown.com on the SB Nation Network. Tonight, as always, I have Jude Seaboard. Jude, how you doing? Very good. Very excited about our guests. Yes, we have a very special guest tonight. We've, we've been blessed with some great guests, but this is the first uh, lately, but this is the first one that kind of has me a little nervous, a little, a little shaky to actually like to call myself a host of a podcast. Uh, and that's because we have the great Ty Hildebrandt from the Solid Verbal. Ty, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing well. Don't get nervous around me. Man, I'm nervous it, it, around you guys. J and J. Does anyone refer to you as J and J? Not yet. Not yet. We're, we're we're working towards that. Just building that brand up. Thank you so much for the invite. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So look, everybody, most college football fans that listen to podcasts know you guys, and I would hope that everyone that's involved with One Foot Down knows a solid verbal, knows Ty, knows Dan, and so we know that you're kind of you're kind of shackled a little bit because you're on a national college football show. You, you have to move on. You have to talk about UTEP. You have to talk, <laughs> you know, about Kansas. Nobody has to talk about UTEP, but in general, <laughs> yes. go minors. Yeah. Go minors. No, you're, you're, you're onto something here. So, so the, the time that the Dan can spend talking about Oregon and you can talk about Notre Dame is a little bit limited. Uh, although I, I think you guys do a great job of, of, of inserting your fandom into the show because, Hey, that's what college football is all about. But there are no such shackles here. There, there shit. There's not even any rules. Uh, <laughs> so, so, uh, so we, everything is fair game. So, uh, are you cool with that? Are you, are you ready to I'm, feel the freedom? I, I am. I'm breathing that sweet free air. Yeah, buddy. And, uh, I'm ready to talk some Irish. So let's do right. it. Yeah. So look, let's get right on into it. Look, um, Let's not beat around the bush. We had the uh, first day of camp was yesterday. Media was allowed in attendance, and there was a lot of a lot of good nuggets coming out of there. I have a uh, special fist pump going up because uh, one of my one of my pet takes throughout the uh, off season has been about Dante Vaughn, uh, who I think has been unjustifiable. <laughs> I mean, just has been a you know kind of a whipping boy for Notre Dame fans because of the because of the Cotton Bowl. And I think there was all sorts of reasons behind that. And uh, he's coming back from injury now, and, and he came out with the first team, looked good. Uh, so that's all good. And I, I put out, you know, I, I think I put out my list of, hey, I think these are Notre Dame's best guys in the defensive backfield. What the hell is wrong with this? And then what overshadowed all of that <laughs> was five-star freshman safety Kyle Hamilton, who just Kyle Hamilton. He was yeah. going to pick off three passes uh, in practice. <laughs> I was going to ask you guys, is it too early to get his full face tattooed across my back? <laughs> no, no. I'll tell you what, if you do that, I will publish one story a week for a year uh, dedicated to that tattoo. So here, here's my question, right? So he had three interceptions, first day of camp. And I've been reading stories on on, on your site and others about how he's he's six four, he's two ten, he's the biggest safety Brian Kelly's ever had, and now they're they're like actively looking for other ways to get him involved. Like he's talk, he's talking to Chip Long. Maybe he could get involved on offense. Who who the hell knows, right? That would be what fun. What do you do with an athlete? Right. I mean, you just you find a way to put him in athletic situations. Does it say more about Kyle Hamilton that he picked off three passes, or does it say more about Phil Jerkovic that it all three were off him? It says more about Phil Jerkovic, I, I think. See, uh, that's it. 
That's yeah. that's that's how you temper the excitement. Well, now, yeah. Now, now, damn it, you guys, we're two we're four minutes tip, in. Two were on tip balls. So, I mean, is is that really on Phil Dracovic? I don't know. But he got pick, he got picked off on one on one drills. I, I don't know. It just, here's my here's my quick counterpoint. Okay, quick counterpoint, and this made a ton of sense. So, listening to uh, we love referencing uh, uh, Tim, Tim, and Pete on this show. Uh, but listen to the Irish Illustrated podcast today. Pete made an excellent point. Was that okay? So they a couple were tipped. When's the last time that someone was picking off three passes in practice? And it was that's the thing. Like I understand, you know, who it was and all that, but this is just one of those things that just doesn't happen all that often. So it it is special in a way. You you can you can take it down a notch or so. You know, we're not no one's ready to crown him uh, just yet, but it showed a lot. I mean, it did show a lot about what he brings to the table. You got to be in the right place to get them tips to begin with. You got to, you got to have your football IQ. You, you got to be out there knowing where you're supposed to be, what you're doing. And he seemed to be doing that. Yeah. I mean, he's a stud recruit and I applaud the effort by the coaching staff to try and put him in situations to, be impactful. I think every Notre Dame fan should be excited about that. Well, that's the thing. I think this staff is, or I think during Brian Kelly's entire career at Notre Dame that they've failed. That's one of the things he's actually still fails to do is to, I think, fully utilize his athletes there. Now they, they've done a lot of positions changes. So don't get me wrong. You know, like moving Kavari Russell day one from running back to cornerback is fresh. You know, st- a lot of stuff like that. A lot of, they've done a lot of nice position changes, but when you get that, like that premier athlete, it's, you know, like Dexter Williams, like, yeah. ah, how do you, how does he not touch the ball? You know, more than three times a game for three years. Uh, so <laughs> I mean, you know, it, it's stuff like that that drives people crazy. And so like, so now we have what we have softwares like Braden Lindsay. He was just a burner who they said, you know, took a slant, 75 yards of the house at the, uh, at the practice yesterday and looked like he was just like pulling away with no problem. But when you, when you ask around about kick return and all like that, eh, it's a so, so thing. I just feel like if that they just don't use their speed guys, like 90% of the college football coaches out there use their speed guys. Like, yeah, I mean, this could, this could end up to your point. This could end up at a weird place where Chris Fink is returning punts. That's where he's at right now, which I right. love, actually. <laughs> no, I mean, he's, I he's, thrift, he's thrifty. He's just not going to blow anyone away with the speed. He's right. better than John Goodman. Yeah, better than John Goodman. That's a, that's a low yeah. bar to clear. I, we got that. No, you're the right. The bar cannot keep be, cannot, we can't keep putting the bar at John Goodman. <laughs> <laughs> it just cannot happen. Can I, so, can yeah, I there, go back? Can I go back for a second, though? Absolutely. All right. So I, I have this, this, this condition. If you want to call it that, maybe that's a strong <laughs> word. I have, I have this condition where every recruiting cycle, I pick like a pet player. And this year it just so happened to be Kyle Hamilton, who got three interceptions yesterday, first day of camp off of my previous pet player, Phil Jacobin. <laughs> and I'm, I'm hoping that I'm not jinxing these players by, by kind of, I don't know, unconsciously doing this, but I just want to note that when Phil Jerkovic was recruited, it was amid some recruiting or, or excuse me, some quarterback turmoil at Notre Dame. And Phil Jerkovic, of course, comes in and he's got this wonky delivery. He's always had the wonky delivery. 
And initially when he had the wonky delivery, the, the, the spin seemed to be like, yeah, you know, like we got to get him in the camp and you know, he's got a lot of arm talent. We're just going to find a way to refine it. And, and I don't it- really remember anybody complaining too much about his delivery until he got right. And that's, and that's like, my no point. one said anything about his delivery. That's exactly my point. Right. And then, then I started seeing the rumblings like last year and kind of into the off season this year. It's like, yeah, I, Brian Kelly had a quote about it. Like, yeah, he's, he's got a lot going on there. We just got to, we got to figure it out. And now he's thrown these three interceptions and they're treating him like he's Byung Hyung Kim. And, <laughs> and, and now it's like, yeah, man, we got to, we got to figure this out. Like, I don't, I don't know if this is going to go the way that, that I can't uh, make, I can't make heads or tails with it. If they're actually screwing with his motion, it also, they always make it sound like it's his idea. Like, oh, did, right. Yeah. Tinkering yeah the screen they did. Or, right. But, but to your point, Jude, they said he changed it. In the spring. Right. Phil Jacobic wants to throw a knuckleball this year. What? Like, where did that come from? So I can't figure out where we are on the spectrum here between wonky delivery and this is never going to work on the college level. But nonetheless, that's been secretly one of my favorite Notre Dame stories to follow the spin game regarding Phil Jacobic's delivery. I'll tell you what, it's a wild one. And I mean, what what makes me mad is the fact is that is that became an issue last August. Like, did no one watch film? Like we're talking, you know, Brian Kelly said Jerkovic was like the best quarterback in America, which is, and we can definitely laugh about that because of Trevor Lawrence, you know, of that class. But we had all this high praise for him. And I don't remember one single person, not one recruiter reporter, nobody, not a blogger, not me, anybody complaining about it. The delivery of his throws, yeah, in a game, we just we praised him for his athleticism and and you know playing sick in the playoffs and you know and all that stuff. Not one mention, and then fall camp first day it was like, oh god, like no. <laughs> what's his arm doing? No, no, you're right, you're right. I mean, it's it's all big spin game. It, it happens. It's uh, sort of the nature of the of the college football beast. But it it just cracked the Jerkovic thing cracks me up. It just does because all of a sudden it's like this may not work at all. Um, <laughs> I, I don't. I don't think you get a lot of solid verbal fantasy points off of Phil Jerkovic's uh, wonky motion being mentioned every week. But at the same time, uh, that is definitely a storyline that I think Notre Dame fans are following uh, very closely uh, this offseason. And I already hear rumblings saying people saying, "I guess Brendan Clark's the next big thing." Like we're already willing to write off a stud uh quarterback recruit yeah because he had a bad blue goal game and if we wrote, wrote off anybody who had a bad blue goal game we would have written off a ton of people who actually Ky- kaiser was one of them yeah so I let mean, me Kaiser had a terrible yeah spring yeah, game uh, before the 2015 season. let me let me let me interject here for a second and ask you guys a question because this is actually a, a, a good way to seg into it uh and i know i know joshua you said i could do this at the end of the show but this is this is oh, actually i do need your assistance on something here so we do on our show something called fantasy things and fantasy things. Really? It's like the most cliched storylines that we see for the coming college football season. And we organize them on a big spreadsheet. We've been doing the last couple of years, live shows in different cities where we actually hold and conduct the live draft. And this year we're doing live shows in Dallas. And then on the very next day in DC, so August 17th and 18th, if you go to our website, solidverbal.com, there's a big banner at the top. If you want to buy tickets to come on and, and meet us and, 
and, and watch the draft unfold in person, you can do that. SolidVerbalTickets.com slash Texas, SolidVerbalTickets.com slash DC, or just SolidVerbal.com if you want to click on the link and, and you know, you can find the links there. God, now that the, pro- so pro. Man, that now that so the pro. promo is out of the way, <laughs> here is my thing. Every year we do this, I have garnered a reputation for drafting, for calling attention to the most cynical possible Notre Dame storyline. And I'm trying to figure out what it is. Uh, a couple years ago, fans fan base. Uh, well, a couple years ago, I did a softer Brian Kelly because remember there was that weird spurt where he was doing yoga and we talked yeah, about that. The Pete Thamel article. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. There was that. Uh, Great picture I had, of him and Jerry Tillery doing it. That's right. Yep. I remember the picture. It's, it's unfortunately burned in my brain. There was, <laughs> there was the Brian Kelly coaching rumors year where I had that. And then I had something last year where it's like it sometimes plays into Brian Kelly. I think last year I had Notre Dame quarterback controversy or quarterback quandary. So there's always something that as Notre Dame fans, we could point to and say this. If it all goes south, this is the most cynical possible take. <laughs> I'm having trouble identifying that this year because they went to the playoff flash lost by 27, mind you, sure. but went 12 and 0 in the regular season. Didn't lose as bad as Alabama, though. Did not lost by one fewer point. Thank you. I will not. I will not relinquish that point. Clemson said that Notre Dame was the toughest team they played. Absolutely. They did. Right. We're not even at that. We're not even in the ACC. But what, what is, what is that cynical take in 2019? You know, I have, I have one, but it's so like, okay, I'll I'll just say it, but it's so lightweight that it may not work. But one of the bigger things in the off season that, that I hear is Facebook is just like a treasure trove of like the worst takes from the Always. worst fans. So, but the, the whole thing is, you know, speed, 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 speed. Cause they're watching Justin Ross and, and T Higgins tee off on us. Like everyone's got a Justin Ross and Higgins, you know, on their, on their team, but they hammered, they kept hammering home about, you know, our freshman now sophomore wide receivers are, you know, our speedy guys, you know, Braden Lindsay, um, uh, Lawrence keys, and I, I think that's something if Notre Dame's offense struggles a little bit, if, if they get bogged down a little bit, you're just going to hear. That's all you're going to hear uh, from a lot of fans is, you know, need to get those those wide receivers out there who are small guys that could break with a hit regardless. But I, I think that's I guess to me, I, and I, I know that's a kind of a light, lightweight point. But it's one that I heard all we heard all offseason was that they have to get these, you know, and they should be starting ahead of, you know, seniors, Chase Claypool, senior right. Chris, Chris Fink uh, and Michael Young, who who's primed to have a breakout season. Like they're ready to play all these guys. Kevin Austin's in that mix, too, as well. Kevin Austin's also in the Dexter Williams, Kevin Sefferson doghouse and probably won't see the field until October. This is this is um, also this is also sorry an, an old school like Colin Cowherd take on Notre Dame like I was on the field against USC and oh, Notre mean, Dame does does not have the elite speed. Well, hell, that was a Bruce Feldman tweet during the, yeah. I mean during the um, I uh, I got one for you, Ty. I I think that it will work whether he succeeds or fails. But the uh, Notre Dame quarterbacks in year two under Brian Kelly is a very strong narrative. There's a, oh, there's yeah. a sense amongst people that quarterbacks are do, destined to, to have a regression, um, in year two under Brian Kelly, nobody can figure it out. 
because it's yeah. it's been the case. I yeah, mean, yeah, Tommy Reese has really been the only one who's been kind of immune ish to all that because because Reese's just keeps going, man. You there's can't... been a suggestion that Kelly somehow like curses these guys or gets in their heads or puts too much in the playbook. So if Book uh, succeeds. Then he's beaten the curse. If right. he if he fails, then it's then you put up all the graphics about year two, uh, you know Kaiser, year two Woodbush, year two, uh, uh, I guess Rees or maybe Chris or whoever you want to go back to, um, and then sort of say, oh, see, look, uh, Brian Kelly can't you know can't get a quarterback, can't have any continuity with his quarterbacks, you know. And I think I do like that. I am writing these down, by the way. This is this is very instructive. Thank <laughs> Feel free. The two the two that I've got here. I'm looking at my list right now. I have two. I have one that's on the field, one that's definitely just more related to the broadcast. But the one, <laughs> the one that, the one that I think they are going to try and get as much mileage as possible out of, and it's you know I shouldn't say this about Ian Book because he had like a what a 68 percent completion percentage last year. He had a very good year by all measures. But usually when you've got a quarterback who you're watching him and you could tell that athletically he's a little limited. You know, he's not like Tua out there, right? Sure. He's not throwing the length of the field. It's a lot of medium si- medium sized roots. Um, those are the guys that they tout their leadership. <laughs> yeah. And so I could definitely see every announcing team just going ham on Ian Book, natural leader. Oh, especially, especially if it's named captain. Yeah, I was your dude and I are like thinking right there. Yeah. If they name him a captain which would be the first time Brian Kelly has ever had a, a quarterback captain at Notre Dame. Right. With then, the exception of Deshaun Kaiser, who he picked only because he wanted him to stay. And that's really right, did right, not work. Right, 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 right. A, a, a quarterback captain that played a game right. at Notre Dame. Yeah. And, so I think, I think that's gotta be one. That's, that's, that's a good one. That's, that's, that's sort of the leadership thing is, is definitely going to be a, a storyline. And then the other one, I know you guys watch Notre Dame is well, probably more than I do, but I was really moved last year by Doug Flutie's infatuation. Remember that show Manifest? (laughs) (laughs) You guys remember this, right? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Doug Flutie did not go one promo for Manifest without just touting how good he thought it was or could be. And I know it's I know it's a bit of a dark horse, and I don't know if that NBC drama exists in 2019, but I really just want to pick and have on my fantasy things roster Doug Flutie being enamored with an upcoming NBC drama. Ah, uh, yeah. I mean, I was gonna say if you thought if you thought shut up Flutie or something like that, we could probably get you 12 weeks of fantasy points off of people <laughs> saying shut up about Flutie during the broadcast. I mean, you could, yeah, you could use so much stuff with Flutie. I mean, Flutie, what else does he do? He will tout up the, opp- oh, the, opp- the opposing quarterback yeah. while he is just getting I – mean, he did it with Shea Patterson last year. He did it with Sam Darnold the year before. As Notre Dame is just manhandling these guys and they're doing nothing, continues the entire game to celebrate them. And then once they do <laughs> anything good, he's – I mean he's like doing jumping jacks in the booth. And it's just like he never backs – he never backs down. Maybe, that's, does, a, and- maybe that's a small guy thing. Uh, I don't, you know, I don't know, but he never backs down, uh, from, from where he's at. I think I, Flutie's come a long way because in the beginning it was, he was wearing sort of like the rental suit from my cousin Vinny. <laughs> and he's now at a point where, you know, he's, he's certainly dressed better. I'd like to see him wear that. That's and his commentaries, 
his commentary has gotten a lot better to his credit. I I've, I've been impressed I, in that. Probably regard. won't find too many Notre Dame fans that agree with you on that. I was going to say, that's fine. Just, that's I fine. Think he's trash. I think but he's trash. But. He's better than he used to be is my point. We yeah, okay, obviously know we are, we are well underway on our, on our campaign to get Brady Quinn in the booth at some I, point. I'm not a Quinn fan in the booth, so we'll disagree on that one. Okay. But, Regardless, I think I think at a minimum, whether you like Flutie's commentary or not, and there's a case to be made either way. I get it. We do not. I just think he's he's better as an announcer than he used to be. Oh, that's such damning with faint praise, though. I mean, ugh, it is. Yeah. No, it's a total backhanded compliment. Yeah. <laughs> now, it makes me miss Mayock for sure. But but the broadcast, oh, yes. you know, this goes back. I, I mean, Ty and I have been in the same space for a long time. We've, 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 we've been, uh, internet high fivers to each other for, for quite a few years. And I can't remember what year it was, but I got a message from Ty, Ty one year. He's like, Hey, look, I'm ready to do a Tom Hammond show. (laughs) You set it it up. I'll be there. I'm going to come on and we're going to talk with Tom Hammond. Like you got it. I was ready for the Tom Hammond show. In in many ways, I still am. (laughs) So we did that. I did. I did. Podcast has come has come a long way since then. I mean, Pat Hayden to me was awful because he would find the mo- him and Hammond had to love it because this is right up Hammond's alley where they find like the most sellable human interest piece they could possibly find for a player for a player from the opposing team coming into South Bend, and that would be the point they hammer home all day long. I mean, it didn't matter if the guy just caught like a, a quick eight yard out on third and seven. You know what I mean? Yeah. They're going to well, hammer home that, that, that he was, you know, taking care of orphan kids when he was five. Yeah. You're talking, you're talking about Hayden now. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah that's, so, that's, and you know, part of me, part of me, and I always, I'm, I'm tuned in probably more than I should be to these like little announcer ticks because it's like really hard to do what these guys do. I do a podcast and I screw up a million times, but to do it live before millions of people, that is, that is an art form that um, I, none of us should really belittle. That being said, because maybe I just do the national show here, the podcast, and I'm, I just have to find these little quirks to keep it exciting because you're watching so much football on a weekend. You got to find something to latch onto. But part of, part of me wonders if like in the early going when Pat Hayden was calling the games, like NBC was just trying to figure out how to do college football. Yeah. And, and like, this just seemed like something that a producer put in Pat Hayden's ear. It's like, now would be, now would be a good time to talk about an opposing player's GPA. And never mind <laughs> the fact that there's a minute and 30 left and this is the game winning drive. And somehow that carried over into the Tom Hammond, uh, excuse me, Tom Hammond era as well. And that just always drove me crazy. And there's been a million ticks, a million announcer ticks between then and now that for whatever reason, again, are, are just burned into my skull. Um, but they had, they all kind of have their moments, you know, and uh, it's, it's kind of glossed over a lot. You could paper over a lot with Flutie because Tariko's next to him now or has been next to him, I guess recently. Right. Right. Um, because he's just such a pro, you know, and it's like, right. it, it just rolls off his tongue in a way that uh, never mind the fact that Flutie's next to him. We've got even Dan Hicks, you know, these guys are, are seasoned pros when it comes to the play by play business. And, um, they can cover up a lot of sins. 
my I my my dream booth right now, I'll just say, is Gus Johnson, Brady Quinn. I but like but <laughs> wow. like a but like a two two gin and juice in Gus Johnson. Like I, I, I you know, my whole the whole thing, right, is that well, why do you like Brady Quinn so much? What do you well, what do you see in his commentary that you like? You know, I'll tell you what, more than more than anything else, and this this has more to do with NBC than with Brady Quinn, is that they have an absolute ridiculous fear of being known as the Homer Network for Notre Dame. Never mind all, right. all the promos of Notre Dame on NBC and all this. So they what they do is they go out, they go out of their way, ridiculously out of their way to be non-Homer, right? By hiring BC former BC guys, former USC guys. These are not just random hires. These are so you just want to, you want to steer into that is what you're telling me. I'm, I'm just yeah, I just I think it's ridiculous that that of the notion that they think that that a, a Notre Dame alum can't be you know, that, that they'll, that they'll be biased in the booth. And to my point is who gives a shit? I mean, no one is tuning in to Notre Dame games other than Notre Dame fans and the team that's playing, playing their most, most weeks. Yeah. They just aren't. I mean, and, and Jude and I will have, we've already had this battle. The home games are only getting worse. So yeah. who get, I mean, if they, if they sell it, that's what they're doing anyways. It's the promos aren't college football on NBC. It's Notre Dame football on NBC. You're, you're home. You're already there. You know, you might as well stop pretending. Now I'm not saying go full Jack Nolan Homer mode into the, into, you know, you're, you don't want Nolan Reggie Brooks up there. Right. But I think there, there's a way to go about it. And I think they've just hurt their product overall because they, they're not going for, I, to my mind, now Tariko is an exception, but they haven't been going for best available and just going for making sure they're painting the right picture. Okay. Well, that that's interesting. And you do run a Notre Dame site, full disclosure. So, <laughs> so maybe, maybe you're a little biased on that. We're I, I definitely won't go leaning into our audience. Yes. Yeah. I won't, I won't go too deeply into I'll my, get, my take on announcers, on but it's, um, it's good to get that perspective. So hey, something, the something I, I was thinking of too, with these broadcasts and all that, you and Dan throughout the, uh, throughout the season, you guys talk about the, the window of opportunity mm, and, yeah. uh, and, for Notre Dame this season, it's a little strange because, you know, we open up on Labor Day. We have a bye week that following Saturday. And then the next then the, the next week we welcome New Mexico. Another bye week. Yep. Yeah. So <laughs> it's a it's a kind of a straight. You, you got any thoughts of that? It's like, a you know, last year we had the huge offseason build up towards the Michigan game. And. People can say whatever they will about wanting Michigan on the schedule or not wanting Michigan on the schedule. It was a big game to start the season. That's juice right there. That, that's a lot. That's juice. That's that's good for good for the sport. Good for Notre Dame. Whatever the opponent is, you have a have a tough one to start off with. As much as I would bitch about it if we lost, like why are you doing this? Why are you not having a cupcake to get yourself set? There's a lot of juice to that leading up, right? This year, it's like there's just so much fluff for the first three weeks, but it's a weird way to start out too. Right. Cause you know, you, for the first Saturday is, is a no go for you. You got a Monday game and the second Saturday is a no go for you. It's like, God, are we even involved in college football? Yeah. It's a, it's a weird start. The, the, the quality of the opponent isn't there. I obviously when they scheduled Louisville, 
Louisville is in a different spot. Louisville is going to be terrible this year. And that's not like uh, it's a, like, like they went out. I mean, that's, that's one of the part of the ACC deal. You it's know, part they, of the ACC deal. Right. So it, right. But it, it is what it is. It looked at five years ago on the schedule. That looked yeah, like look, a better look. game than it is now. And I hate the week two buy. The only thing worse than a week two buy is the weird week one buy. If you play on week zero, which Florida and Miami are doing this year. Um, and so it's, yeah, I mean, it, I guess I just look at it certainly from a fan's perspective, just as you get into it, you have a buy on week two, but as, as someone again, who tries to do his best to cover the game and, and, and root for Notre Dame or, or, I don't know, hope that Notre Dame can improve throughout the course of a year. Week two is a really tough time to have a bye because you play one game and all of a sudden you're burning one of those off weeks. You don't, you generally, you, you try to improve over a bye week. And I know they say that you improve the most from week one to week two, but um, I personally, knowing that Notre Dame has a veteran team coming back, at least on offense, I would prefer that that bye week be used somewhere else in the schedule to heal up and maybe plan for, you know, an opponent like Georgia. Now, Georgia, I guess is close enough here and they do. I mean, have a bye it's week all, it's Michigan. all a bunch of buys before Georgia, right? And they do have the bye week before. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's probably a moot point, but I don't know. It does feel like a bit of a letdown to like, is get that going to feel like a, double, like a double whammy for you? Cause Michigan plays Penn state. And then the next week and Notre Dame doesn't play that week. And then the next week, Notre Dame goes up to Ann Arbor. Are, are you, are you set for those two weeks? I'll be set because I'll at that point have studied Michigan more than <laughs> enough to know what they've got in the tank and it will make life a little bit easier in the, in the second week of that action. Yes. Now I believe, I, I believe you are, you, you can hold a higher opinion of Michigan than, than I do. And, and then your co-host Dan, right. You're, you're a little bit higher on what they can do than Well, we have I mean, You're, you're in line with, with what a, a lot of people are saying. I mean, you're, this isn't crazy talk coming from you. This is what, I may think it's crazy, but, <laughs> but a lot of this is what the general line on Michigan is, right? Where you're I, at? I think, I think, yeah, I think I kind of fall in line. I've, I've gotten myself into trouble going really out of left field with like, maybe TCU will make the playoff this year. And then <laughs> TCU doesn't, doesn't quite come anywhere close to that. Or, um, I I've done that before. And Arizona play, state looks good. Arizona state. Yeah. They look me and Kirk Herb street, you know, he didn't know it, but I, I was with them and that didn't work either. So it's, it's fine. I'm, I'm fine being in the consensus with Michigan. I think Michigan is poised for a really big year. They've got holes to fill on defense, but their offense is finally in a position where they've got a lot of returning talent up front. They've got to figure out their running back situation, but a returning quarterback, they've got, a ton of talent out wide, they will be formidable on offense for the first time in a while in, in a way that we didn't or couldn't have seen last year because they were figuring it out with Shea Patterson. Um, we'll have to see if Josh Gaddis opens up the offense in the manner that Jim Harbaugh is hoping, but at least on paper as of now in early August, there's a lot of reason to be excited about Michigan. And I contrast that with, um, you know, there's turnover at Penn state on offense. I, I think their defense will be really good, but without trace McSorley, it's, there's going to be a feeling out period there. So I, I kind of write them off and Ohio state's got a ton of talent coming back, but they also have a brand new starting quarterback there. There's obviously a ton of steam on Justin Fields, but 
what will he do in um, a new system with a new head football coach? I don't think it's a given that Ohio State, with some of the turnover that turnover, excuse me, that they have, I don't think it's a given that they're just going to get back to Urban Meyer levels. I just, right. I don't, I don't, we, I don't subscribe to that. We had uh, Michael Felder on the show last week, and and one of his his thoughts is he's going to be wondering whether or not Jim Harbaugh will allow Josh Gaddis to actually run the offense, uh, especially well, if they encounter early trouble. Point. Yeah, that, that's another point. And, and Michael, that, was, that was something that hung over Brian Kelly for a lot of years. I mean, supposedly, you know, he had turned it over to Mike Denbrock, um, you know, quite a few years ago and no one believed it then. Uh, and people are still having a hard time, you know, coming to terms with the fact that this is Chip Long's offense and not really Brian Kelly's. Um, so I, you know, I, I could see it felt, I mean, I thought Mike made a great point. I mean, it, yeah, no, Mike would know. Mike would know. Mike's Mike's always got his finger on the pulse of these kind of things. And yeah, and, yeah, and, and as he said on the show too, uh, somewhere down the line, uh, he's connected to Gaddis at some point. <laughs> yeah. I kind of feel like Felder's kind of connected to, to lots of people that just kind of come out of the blue. <laughs> no, Michael, Michael's great. And he, he's a hundred percent, right. It's, it we will just have to wait and see, you know, I, I like the sentiment of trying to open up the offense. Lord knows Michigan needs to do that. They need to be less predictable on the offensive side of the ball. Um, but just, I guess, more broadly speaking, if you look at the Big Ten East, and I think the the winner of the Big Ten comes out of the East, I just feel better about Michigan's chances than I do Ohio State or certainly Penn State. I think that's I, fair. I, there's a lot of what you're – and I think it's fair. But, I mean, there's a lot of that hinge on the fact – on their schedule. I mean, our, our – it's not really rankings, right, that we're, that we're always doing. It seems like we're projecting more than anything else. And so are we – putting Michigan on this next level um, basically as a projection. And that if they went up against like a, like a Clemson or a Alabama, they would just get waxed all the same. Well, I'm putting Michigan on that, on that level in quotes, because we pick four teams to go to the playoff. And I think the big 10 will be positioned to have one of those teams. I, I sort of did a process of elimination, right? Like I would love for Notre Dame as a Notre Dame fan. I would love for Notre Dame to repeat. That's a hard thing to do. Yeah. yeah it's a, and it's, it's, this it's is a tough one. schedule. There are three really tough road games this year. And I find it hard to believe they're going to win all. Th- they win all three. They're in. They have to be in. They got to win the other games. But the three toughest games in the schedule are on the road. And um, they win those. They stand a chance. I don't think it will happen. I don't think they'll make it unscathed. So I rule Notre Dame out. I'm also ruling the Pac-12 out because that's a friggin' mess. <laughs> I have no idea who's coming out of the Pac-12. Probably the someone from the suits. north. But it could be Utah with like a nine and three record. Who the hell knows? So I count them out as well, which I think puts us in a situation where you've got one team from each of the four remaining power conferences, or you've got a situation where maybe the Big 12 cannibalizes itself and two teams go from the SEC and you still have a team from the Big 10. Yeah, just, what, do you think, what do you think about Oklahoma with Jalen Hurts? I mean, is that going to be a thing you think this year? It's, it's not going to be a thing the way Kyler Murray was okay, or the way Baker Mayfield was, right. but he's, he's serviceable. If Jalen hurts is 75% of Kyler Murray, that's still pretty damn good. Yeah. What's serviceable in, in Lincoln Riley's offense? I mean, I feel like serviceable in Lincoln Riley's offense is like still like getting invited to New York. Maybe you don't win the Heisman this time around, but serviceable in, the, in that kind of high power offense still feels like a lot of points. That's just it. That's exactly right. They probably don't need a quarterback to do as much as as 
Kyler Murray did last year. And they're saying all the right Baker things Mayfield about did. they're saying all the right things about their defense and how they know they have to get uh, more stout in their defense or whatever. But that's just not the way Big Twelve plays football. So I don't know. I, I I'm very cynical about that. They gave up. They gave up. 6.3 yards, I want to say. We just did the preview earlier. They gave up 6.3 yards per play last year, which was 102nd or something in the nation. Wow. It, was, it was terrible. It was that and so with their offense, if you just improve marginally, and they hired Alex Grinch away from Ohio State. Right. And Alex Grinch is a guy who's, who's proven he can come in and make an immediate impact. But you just need to get marginally better. And that will that will go a long way towards making your team that much more formidable. Um, they they don't need Jalen Hurts to go in there and win the Heisman Trophy. They they don't. They've got so much talent coming back on on offense. They they lose Hollywood Brown, but that's fine. They've got so much talent coming back. They really can rely a little bit more on their rushing attack this year because they've got good talent that they've developed there at that position. Um, but I to, to to the larger question about where does Michigan fit in or how might Michigan fit in. Um, I think they fit in kind of along the same lines as like in Oklahoma. Like I think Oklahoma probably wins the big 12. I think Alabama and Clemson probably win the sec and ACC. And I think right now, if I'm looking at who else might win their respective conference, my vote would be Michigan. Take those four teams. Let's put them in the playoff. That's why I'm so high on Michigan. Always discounting Iowa. I'm (laughs) always discounting Iowa. Look, I'm a, I'm a Nate Stanley believer, but I just, you know, I, I got to I got to go with my heart here. And I think think the winner comes out of the East in the big 10. And I think that team's probably Michigan. All right. We're going to take a quick break here. uh, Take care of a little bit of podcast business and we come back. uh, We're going to, we're going to stick on on the national talk for just a little bit more than, than we'll coast on and talk about Notre Dame season. But uh, we'll be right back after this. (laughs) <laughs> we're back with some cat or dog noises. I'm sorry. That's my cat. <laughs> I think it's trying to talk to Ty's dog. So that was, that was probably about, hopefully I'll see that marker. <laughs> All right. So I, I, I want really, I wanted to ask you this and I don't, Ty, I don't write down too many notes before a yeah. podcast. I know that may shock you, but, it's uh, right. but I don't write too many things down, but I did write this down because you and, you and Dan got into this conversation. Um, uh, maybe it was last week or two weeks ago. Uh, it, it, it all kind of stemmed from the whole college football attendance thing, and but it, it kind of dived into you know what's hurting college football right now. And I think we were talking, and you guys were had a conversation about the college football playoff. And I am definitely in that camp that thinks that we're just we're talking too much about it. Like uh, about four teams, like week one, it's who's in. And I think in a general sense throughout the whole season, hammering that takes away a lot of what is great about college football. Now, yes, as Notre Dame fans, we are not, you know, we're not conference people, right? I mean, we're, you know, we're, we're independent. We like our independence, but as a college football fan first, which I am, I love a good conference race. I love the weirdness. I mean, I, everything that involves college football and over the last, you know, 15, 20 years, it's, it's gotten worse and worse and worse, but really with the playoff in my mind, I just, that is just what the, they're just hammering at home. In fact, they hammer at home so much that there isn't a whole lot to me. I don't hear a whole lot of Heisman talk 
like we used to in the first couple of weeks that we all rolled our eyes about. Like it, this has completely took over uh, this playoff. You know, what do you, I, I, I know, I think I know what your thoughts are from, from listening to the podcast, but uh, why don't you share them with, uh, with our listeners? I just come at it from a different perspective. First off, I'm fine with there being less Heisman talk. Cause if there, if there's anything in college football, <laughs> yeah, I could care that, less about. That's fantastic. That, that, I am not complaining about that. <laughs> I, I could not care less about the Heisman who cares. Right. But I, I'm coming at it from the perspective of most of my life, college football's biggest games, the games that everyone, all these teams were playing to be part of were exhibition games. And that always felt backwards to me. I feel like the biggest games that you're rewarded with at the end of the year should stand for something. Now I'm with you. They hammer home who's in, who's not in. And that's because there's a money factor to this. Right. ESPN's trying to maximize their investment. All right. We, we don't need to talk economics of college football, but yeah, Jude, you hear that? <laughs> we don't, we don't need to, we don't need to go there right now, but Damn right. we saw it with the BCS the BCS, we were talking about two teams in computer rankings. And that was closer to at least feeling like we're talking about something with real substance. They ditched that, thankfully, and moved now to this system where we've, where we've got a selection committee and a playoff. I'm a fan of the playoff. I think there should be more teams in it. And I don't mind the fact that we're talking about who's in this playoff because, to me, it feels like we're talking about who are the best teams. And... If you're not playing to be one of those best teams, what's the point? What's what's the if, point? If they expand it, see, I, I, and I, I, I was a very, I, I was a, I'm a huge vocal supporter of the 14 playoff. I, I didn't think it needed expanded up until this last year, and for no other reason other than the fact of what I had stated about what what I thought the the 14 playoff was doing to college football in general. I think if you add more teams you get away from that. I mean, they're still good. ESPN is still going to do that stuff. That's just, that's ESPN. That's not what I'm interested in. It's the general, the general fan conversation. But right. if you have, if you do a more inclusive thing with eight teams or whatnot, then then it, then it really, the folk, I think the focus goes back more onto the season itself overall, rather than focusing on just a, a, a handful of teams. Would you think that is that, does that make sense? Is that accurate to you? Does that, does that sound about? Yeah. I mean, look, my, I, I, I come at it from the perspective of, like I said, I don't think your most important games or your biggest games should be exhibition games. That's the first thing. And the second thing is just <laughs> from a probability standpoint, you stand the best chance of picking the best team. If you include more in the playoff and the best team I know is in air quotes and everyone may have a different version of what that means. But I look, if you're not playing to be the best team, what's the point? I don't get it. <laughs> I've never get, I've never gotten it ever. And, right. uh, we do have a great deal of inequality in college football, where if you're a group of five team, you're never going to get in that playoff. And there are even teams in the power five that stand no chance, virtually no chance of getting in that playoff. And, and, and that Indiana Hoosiers are not getting in the playoff. They're not getting the playoff that, and that sucks for the Indiana Hoosiers. But, um, <laughs> I just like, I don't get it. I don't get why you wouldn't want to be or, or at least care about who that best team should be. So for me, it maybe I'm, maybe I'm missing something. That's just sort of always been my, perspective. I guess I just see it as more. It, it's 
the conversation just is so dominating. It's it's not that I don't well, think it's, it's a, a little. Much. I, I, like I'm with you. 100%. It's a little much. It's a little much. And right. and you know part of part of the allure of college football has always been that you can root for an Iowa State and still kind of hold on to this fairy tale that you're on the same level as an Alabama or a Michigan. And maybe I shouldn't use Iowa state as the example because Iowa state's gotten pretty good over the last three years. Uh, but you get the point, you know, we, we've kind of, we've kind of built this illusion around some of these lesser teams. Like they're not second class citizens when in fact, yeah. The economics of college football have forced them to be second-class citizens. And now it's just more out in the open. Um, I don't know. It's I, Maybe through doing the podcast, I'm a little callous to that now. But I just I sort of take it for what it is. I think we know going into the season, there are probably eight to ten teams that have a chance to be in that playoff. And uh, I'm, I'm okay with the state of the conversation. You know, one of the things about Notre Dame, uh, obviously 2016 – was a disastrous season, right? I mean, four and eight, it, there's no matter what the reasons are, there's, there's no way to talk that back uh, going, going four and eight. But I mean, even the season before they won, you know, 10 games. And then the two seasons, now, the, our last two seasons, their name is, hey, they're doing great. Double digit wins. Yes, it was just a Citrus Bowl winning against LSU, but it seemed at the time like an important game uh, just for the program, just to get something like that in. You go to the college football playoff. But there and there is and there will always be, uh, I guess, for a lack of a better word, haters mm-hmm. everywhere when it when it comes to Notre Dame. It, it's just it comes with the territory and it will always be that way. But do you do you find it? I mean, I guess I'm just a little jaded about it all, really. But do you find it strange, like, Oklahoma State fans, like, so vocal about their, about how Notre Dame is so over – I mean, just all these schools that just never have the seasons that Notre Dame has had or come close like that, and yet they're, they were sticking them down in the tier with, you know, with Iowa. Yeah, I mean – I, I think I, 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 I don't know. Okay. Is it because so I, Notre Dame is so polarizing? It just, they seem like well, the one team in the country that could have these seasons that they just had. I think it's, it's a multi-layered question and there, there are a couple oh, factors. There are, many, there are many layers in this onion, but many layers. If you want to peel back the onion that, that I think factor into this, um, a couple of them in no particular order, the contract with NBC has, for whatever reason, gotten a lot of people jealous. Maybe Which is because so funny because it's, it's funny. It's, it pales funny. in comparison to all the other deals now. It actually does, but Black for whatever bit. reason, the Notre Dame Broadcasting Network has <laughs> ruffled many a college football fan. Sure. So that's one. Um, there is certainly a perception among college football fans, even some Notre Dame fans, that there's a holier-than-thou quality to the Notre Dame institution, the Notre Dame football program. All right. Rightly or wrongly, (laughs) rightly or wrongly, that perception exists. So that that's another thing that I think factors in. And, and certainly the fact that Notre Dame has been a really successful program over the years. Now there's been a lull. Notre Dame's building towards being more of a constant threat, but people in general hate greatness or they hate that sustained success. So those are just three factors. 
that I think play into that. Lord knows there are more. Um, it is weird to sometimes hear the, the, the hate from weird fan bases. I think we've been privy to that on our end of the solid verbal, just cause we do a national show right. more so than, than a lot of others. Um, I've seen it and it's, it's a little weird to me too. I, I try to take it in stride as the resident Notre Dame fan on the podcast, but I mean, I was harassed uh, by a Rutgers fan for yeah, not that's, being in a conference. Weird. I mean, it's that, it, it's that kind of level, you know what UC, I mean? UCF fans seemed very, uh, they had a lot of vitriol last year. I remember I was surprised. Yeah. Yeah. Was UCF was, that was strange to me too. I caught that. <laughs> um, it's like, so dude, yeah, I, I respect your season just as much as you should respect Notre Dame season. You know, I just, I, no, it was weird to me. I, I got it a lot. I got it from Kentucky people. <laughs> it's like, what? Kentucky? Okay, sure. Instead of just enjoying the season that they normally just, don't get. Yeah. So it's, it's fine. It is what it is. I, it, it is a very complicated question to answer. There is, there, there are haters, as you said, for Notre Dame football. Um, my guess is they will always be there. It may not be all that different from Yankees baseball or Duke basketball or maybe right. the Patriots at this point. It's, and it's no one's talking about changing minds. No, or the that, Dallas Cowboys, yeah. right? It's just when you're, when your program goes semi-national like that, it's, um, it's, it's always going to be in the crosshairs from I just, something. I just find it so strange. Like, like I hate on Michigan like every other day, basically. Right. But I have a reason to hate on Michigan. <laughs> like as a legitimate, like almost like from a doctor ordered reason to hate on Michigan. And that the makes one, sense. That makes sense to me. The one thing that I will say that does work to Notre Dame's favor in this regard is Alabama has a virtual dynasty and they are clearly the easiest team to hate. Just they're in it every year. Sure. And Clemson definitely is like a, a, a fun uncle version of <laughs> Alabama at this point. They're like Alabama with personality, but you give them two more years under Trevor Lawrence. And I'm curious to see if people grow tired of the Clemson shtick or the Dabo shtick, oh, the right? Dabo mm-hmm. Stick. Mm-hmm. They'll, weird. They'll, like- they'll get a little easier to hate and, I, I like to think as a Notre Dame fan that maybe some of what made people hate the Irish will get, get lost in the crossfire of Alabama and Clemson just dominating year in, year out. That's interesting. Hey, Josh, I feel, uh, I feel like we'd be remiss if we didn't ask Ty to take like a 30,000 view on the Notre Dame season here and kind of give us, I mean, I, I know it's August 5th, but give oh, us your idea. Yeah. Uh, give us your idea of, of what how you see this season playing out. Uh, Josh and I have very different uh, ideas about how this very is going to go, and uh, I just be curious to hear yours. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll go back to something I said before. There, there, there are three big road games, and I think the season runs through Athens, Georgia, Ann Arbor, Michigan, and Palo Alto, California. Um, the schedule is definitely tougher than it was a year ago. Definitely tougher. I am terrified. You know how I am. I know you guys listen to the show. I'm I'm always worried about these letdown games. And I think there are two big ones with Virginia the week after Georgia and Virginia tech the week after Michigan. Those, those two Virginia Boston college. I'm very scared of Boston college on senior day. We, we have reasons to be afraid of Boston college. Yeah. That's happened before. Right? I don't even, I have no idea. What and, and on senior about. day, no less on senior so. day. That's no like idea trying to black cat about. out there. I am literally <laughs> yeah. wearing a 1993 national champions t-shirt right now. I don't know what you're talking Ho-hum, about. Oh, hum, nothing to see here. Yeah. The <laughs> nope. Virginia games, the, the Virginia, Virginia tech games have a lot of letdown potential. I, the schedule is harder. 
which I think is also a reason why I'm, I'm more skeptical that Notre Dame could do what they did last year. But that's, that's the first thing I think that's before you go into anything, that's something you need to define. And then secondly, this year's team to me is a little bit opposite of where they were last year. I, I remember talking about Notre Dame last year, love their leadership, love their talent on defense, had questions about Brandon Wimbush and the offense this year that flips because the defense loses a ton of talent on all three levels. Meanwhile, the offense is mostly intact. And so that to me equals more pressure for chip long for Brian Kelly, probably for Ian book to generate more points, a lot more falls on Ian book shoulders this year than it did last year. And, um, so that, that how he withstands that pressure to me will be something that, that I'm going to follow. He needs to get more vertical in the passing game. Some of the deep throws last year were less than admirable and (laughs) they need they need that to find a, a way. Nice, that's a very nice way to I'm say it. I'm trying that. to be diplomatic. You are, when I you, are a, you are a consummate pro. <laughs> I'm trying to be diplomatic on someone else's show, but <laughs> they, they need to find more of a way to get him vertical in the passing game to generate some explosiveness. I know miles Boykin's gone and you know, I Lord knows that they they've got options out wide, but can, can any of those guys develop into a true deep threat? I, I don't know. I hope so. I'm going interge- to interject real quick here. Just, just to bring up a point that, that has been bothering me over the last couple of weeks. How many people said that Miles Boykin was explosive before the NFL combine? Yeah, not many. <laughs> right? Not Possession many. guy, right? He's a, he's a big dude who can he jump. Ball. Now, yeah. now all of a sudden he's like, he lose that explosion. But they're right, though. I mean, Boykin, because Book could not, for whatever reason, could not push the ball vertically so many times and you don't see it on TV all the time, but I'm live. You, you see it a lot. Boykin can get open. I mean, there, there, no doubt about his talent. And then I, I guess the speed surprised me and maybe it shouldn't because then it, it actually goes with what I was watching. Uh, but I mean, you're absolutely right that you lose an explosive of that, but it's just funny to me that yeah. no one talks about <laughs> miles Boykin being explosive, uh, until the NFL draft. No, right, right. So I, Look, we, we saw some Ian books, deep balls last year. They need to get better. He missed balls last year. He missed throws that, that you can't miss at that level of college. At least football. four touchdowns, at least four, for at least, sake. at least. So that, that's the first thing that I'm, I'm going to watch very closely. Uh, I don't know what happens with the running game. There's no Dexter Williams this year. And, uh, there are options right? Like Tony Jones mm-hmm. Jr. is big and likes to get North and South and maybe they can find a way to use him behind a pretty good line. And, uh, Jafar Armstrong, um, a, a bit injury prone, former mm-hmm. wide receiver, right? But mm-hmm. can they find a way to use him in a way that, that I don't know, is out of the backfield in the passing game, or I, I don't know what they do in the backfield. That's, that's a lingering question. I'm, I'm kind of excited about uh, freshman Kyron Williams. I, yeah, they, yeah. They were lining him up in the slot during practice the other day. And I'm almost thinking that he might have more of a role. He, I thought he could have stood out to me in the blue gold game. So See, I'm, a, I'm a Jameer Smith guy. Jameer Smith. I, yeah. And, yeah. I mean, I, I was in the spring, uh, but unfortunately he, he, got, he was a little dinged up in the spring and then there's been nothing but glowing reports about him during the off season and then leading into uh, the start of camp here about uh, him looking like a lot, looking like a bunch, like a different player. Like, what about and Tony Jones Jr. to 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 the credit looks like a, a slimmer, faster Tony Jones Jr. this year. What about work with me here? 
Phil Jerkovic, Kyle Hamilton, same backfield. <laughs> you know, I, I'll take that. Like I mean, Phil is a fullback or I, something? I was in the crowd against Duke, like the chanting for Tommy Zivikowski to oh, be a yeah. quarterback. Yeah, was there too. It was all we had in 2007. Um, <laughs> running running back is, is a, a lingering question. And the other thing for me is rushing defense, right? Like big turnover at linebacker, big turnover up the middle on defense. Sure. What, what will they do against some of these teams? Like George is going to try to run. George is going to try to run Michigan uh, has turnover at running back, but they're going to try to run Stanford is George, late. Is Georgia going to try to run? Cause they, they have zero wide receivers anymore. Or is that what's going on? They seem to have lost every single one zero. of their wide receivers. They lost yeah. But five. They've, they've recruited incredibly yeah, well. I'm not, they'll, I, they'll restock. I'm sure. Don't, it's, don't it's, encourage it's, Jude's Jude's talk on this. Yeah. They're, it's not, it's not a question of not having wide outs or, or issues or um, excuse me, targets out wide. It's they've got DeAndre Swift, and sure. that's the kind of ball that Kirby Smart wants to play. He wants to try and grind you down. So, so with those it, three row games in mind, I mean, wh- yeah, where, where are you sitting at? Can can Notre Dame? I, I myself, I have them down as eleven and one. I have them losing a close game in Athens. Okay. I don't think of uh, Georgia as highly as most people. Michael Felder is in my corner with that, um, I, but I still think it's a loss. Uh, it's just. It's impossible. It's damn near impossible to go undefeated two seasons in a row, regardless. I think they go up to Ann Arbor. I think, Mich- to me, I think Michigan's just overrated. I think that offensive line that everyone's touting up, I saw get beat to hell by Notre Dame's edge players last year. I don't see that changing this year. Um, and then Stanford, I, be- I to me, I think is just, it's a curse thing for Palo Alto. I actually, I think Stanford's on the decline. I think this this hype of KJ Costello, I, I don't get it. Um, you know, maybe he'll be a good quarterback in the league. I didn't get the the, the hype about Sam Darnold, and and I mean, I, I was in the I'm probably still the minority. But I just felt that he just wasn't that great uh, when Notre Dame played him. Uh, 2017, they beat the crap out of him. But anyway, so I have him at 11 and one. I have a close game, a close loss to Georgia. How do you feel those three road trips there? Well, how does does Notre Dame lose all three? Do they? They two out. They one and two. They're not. They're not going to lose all three. And I'm. I'm with you on Stanford. Um, I. It surprised me. I. I have to do more research on Stanford before I talk like any kind of authority. But <laughs> I. I. That didn't I stop am, us. Well, let me, they, they've become a really boring team. I mean, Stanford was one of the teams you wanted to talk about. You know, over the last you know six seven years, and it was they were just so disappointing. Well, their defense, their defense the last two years has been not up to Stanford standard, if you want to say that. Um, And they've clearly relied on Bryce Love the last two seasons when he was healthy to great great effect. But now they're kind of in this moment of transition where I don't know if they've got the, the, the Bryce Love, Christian McCaffrey that they can rely on. And if it's just on the arm of KJ Costello, I'd you know, he's not Andrew Luck. So what, what direction do they go on offense and can they get that defense more in order than it's been? I, there are too many lingering questions for me. Palo Alto has been cursed for Notre Dame, but I feel better about that game than I have in a while. Um, the Georgia game is interesting. I think there's going to be a tendency on both sides to play that one extremely conservatively and close to the vest. 
which would be and a mistake on both sides. It, it, it's more a mistake on Georgia's side than it is Notre Dame's side because I think Georgia, Georgia has a really good quarterback in Jake Fromm who doesn't make mistakes, and they've also got a really good running game in DeAndre Swift that they can pound the ball with. And a five-star who's going to be for sure, uh, who was announced that is definitely going to be playing, and that's uh, Zamir uh, White. Zamir White, yeah. So they, they they've got so much talent in the backfield. I think I think they they're going to want to use it. And um, they can play off that so well with Jake Fromm was a good play action quarterback. I, I just, I feel like Kirby smart early in the year, still trying to feel out his team plays that one close to the vest. And so that strikes me like, I don't know if Notre Dame wins that game. My hunch is I'm, I'm with you. They probably lose on the road in Athens, but I saw an early point spread of 11 and a half in favor of Georgia, which feels really high to me. I could see that being a three point game. Um, we're, on, we're on the same page on that for sure. And then the Michigan one, the Michigan one's interesting. Um, you know, Notre Dame has sort of had Michigan's number now for the last, last couple of matchups, but not in <laughs> Ann Arbor, but not no, in Ann Arbor. not in Ann Arbor. Yeah. And, um, which is just a curse. Like, uh, like Palo Alto, the, the Michigan stadium is not, shit. It's not even Neyland. All right. It's not, you know, it's not going to death Valley. It, it is a, it is not a notoriously tough environment to play in. It's just not, it's, it's freaking well, it's just not, but just like Palo Alto, Notre Dame is a little cursed in there. Right. So I have been on the receiving end of some of your F Michigan text messages. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I haven't said, I, I am glad you reminded me of that because I yeah. did not said not someone out last year. And I, I, uh, I was shame. I was on the other end of those and I didn't even know who was sending it. And then I figured it out and I was like, Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> so I know where you stand on Michigan. So please, please excuse me. If I, if I, if I take your sentiment with a bit of a grain of salt there, I, I, I said, all the, the handcuffs are off. Feel, the feel handcuffs the are there. So let me, let me say this. I think Michael Felder's point on Michigan is incredibly valid, especially when it comes to that Notre Dame game. Because you could see at that point, like it's what October, mid October. Strange time for Notre Dame, Michigan, because it's normally in the beginning of the season. So we will know so much more about each team. Yeah, it's it's not a normal. It's not a normal time. Here's the deal. Here's the deal with that Notre Dame, Michigan game. If you look at the flow of Michigan's schedule, Michigan has a couple tough road games before that Notre Dame game, right? So they go fourth week of the year to Wisconsin. I don't think Wisconsin's going to be that good, but nonetheless, Camp Randall, a tough place to play. But it's a body blow game, right? I mean, Mich- the body blow w- game. Wisconsin is a physical team. Then they go to Iowa or no, excuse me. Iowa's at home, but that's homecoming first week of October, October. against Iowa. All right. That's, that's one of those games where they're going to trade field goals somehow. It just like feels that way. <laughs> and then the week before Notre Dame comes to town, they're in state college against Penn state, which will be a physical game. I don't know what Penn state's offense is going to be, but Penn state's defense is going to be really freaking fun to watch. So they're going to be coming off this stretch of games where they've played tough on the road. If they emerge unscathed, which I think they probably will through that stretch of six or seven or eight games, then Notre Dame comes to town I don't know what state Michigan's offense will be in. I don't know if, to Michael's point, 
they're going to be playing it conservatively or not, but we could be in a spot where headed into the home stretch of the Michigan schedule, they're undefeated. They're staring this Notre Dame game in the face and they want to do their thing. They did this last year a couple times where they play not to lose. And if that's the case, it's another Georgia situation where they could do more, but decide not to. And that plays to Notre Dame's favor. So I'm kind of along the lines of Notre Dame loses to Georgia close beats Stanford to close out the year in Palo Alto. And I think that game against Michigan comes down to like a coin flip. I think it's like who gets the most turnovers and whose quarterback can avoid turnovers more. So coin flip, literally who pockets the referees, you know, coins perhaps. Yeah. Which has been known to happen in Ann Arbor. Armando Allen. Um, Before we let Ty go, I want to play three quick rounds of overrated underrated. Is that all right? Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. We're, okay, we're great. here just over an hour, which is amazingly short for, for, for us. Was that, we're it. Talking, we're, it's it's your professional demeanor, Ty. It's a very easy game. You just you take the what I say and you just you tell me whether you think it's overrated or underrated. Uh, today, uh, Boise State released a new uniform, all black, and Michigan uh, released some sort of like highlighter green. Michigan uh, State. Michigan State. I apologize. Michigan State. Uh, with like a, a highlighter green pants. So what do you think about those overrated or underrated? The Boise one on pro, I think underrated the Michigan state one. I don't know what the hell that is. <laughs> can I, I don't can I ask know. you guys a question. Are they playing laser tag in those? What is that? <laughs> Listen, can I ask you guys a question? A serious question. Was everybody off Twitter in April when they first released <laughs> these jerseys? Like I saw all the tweets rolling in today, and I'm like, "That's great." I, I, I saw guess I these. It. I guess I, I saw these it. months ago. <laughs> it had commentary on it, but everyone's like, "Oh my god!" I'm like, either I'm having some kind of weird like flashback, like space and time, like quantum leap style shit going on, or no, nobody was on Twitter at the same time I was in April. My my thing is when it comes to uniforms, I think if you're trying to trying to position yourself as, as having a little bit more of an edgy quality, you're better off using the black shirts to do that than the neon and Michigan state's kind of trying both and it doesn't work. Yeah. I don't get like there's a, Michigan state has like 19 returning starters or something crazy, but you watch them play and there's, it's really hard to make that exciting. So the neon shirts to me, isn't going to do it. It's sort of going to feel like they're an Oregon knockoff, and I just don't. I don't like the movie. Well, the numbers are that size. Yeah, I don't. I'm not. I'm not into it. Hey, to no one's surprise, I actually like them a little bit. (laughs) You're so messed up. (laughs) Ever the contrary. Listen, they are a million times better than that pinstripe shit we wore last year. Uh, I'll say true. That's true. You're right. Um, you guys are food guys. Uh, We have a disagreement about deviled eggs at tailgates. That's a must. Is there cheap beer at the same tailgate? <laughs> Define uh, cheap, uh, I mean, um, sure. <laughs> you, mean, you mean right up my alley beer? I at Deviled eggs and cheap beer is not a good combination for the stomach, <laughs> especially if you're going into a stadium. So I, I love deviled eggs. I just, you got to be careful. over 75 degrees is a bad idea. You know what I mean? It's yeah. so hard to keep cool and. I don't know. I just think devil eggs are hard to keep cool. They're called coolers. And not only, not only that, but they, 
Pampered Chef literally makes special trays that stay chilled for your deviled eggs. This is a not this is a non-starter. I mean, you, the deviled eggs that you are eating should not be like what you got at your grandma's on Easter when you were seven that have been sitting right. out there for four hours. That that's not the case. They, I'm they fine. Stay- I'm fine. I'm fine with deviled eggs. I love deviled eggs. I'm just saying. I, I'm urging for game day caution. You yeah, I'm urging caution if you're going to mix it with anything. <laughs> If you're going to go into the stadium, because that's and, and if, as a, you ever been as, in that situation, that ain't fun. Oh yeah, and as a thing somebody brings to a tailgate, I feel like that's kind of overrated, right? Like bring a seven layer dip instead. I, I don't know. Like I, I mean, I, I think a scotch egg would be would be cooler. Like it's like, hey man, I got I got these scotch eggs. Like I would dive into that and crush them. I don't, I don't think I want to do anything with eggs. I don't know. Eggs on a hot day doesn't feel like a you right know, thing. You don't do kegs and eggs. I mean, does anyone no, do kegs and eggs anymore? I, I, I mean, that, the eggs but... are usually cooked, though. Well, the the eggs are usually just garnish <laughs> to, right. the, to the keg. So. All right, they're just part of the phrase. <laughs> uh, the last one is uh, the Notre Dame Navy series continuing annually or perpetually, whatever you prefer. Oh, God, are we really going here? <laughs> Continue. Is it overrated, underrated? I, I, I. I like it now that Notre Dame's better than Navy. Um, <laughs> so it's, it's fine. I, it's, I, I don't care. Can I be honest? I don't That's really fine. care. That's, That's absolutely fine. fine. That's actually care. probably the best take you could have on that game is probably not caring because the takes both ways. Like I'm, I'm a total anti-Navy and there are people that are pro Navy on the schedule like and our takes your, can get wild. Like Phil Jerkovic's delivery. <laughs> the game changes based on your perspective. Sure. Back in the 30s, this was a clash of titans. And it was positioned as a clash of titans with national championship implications. Then over the course of time, as Notre Dame became dominant and Navy not so much, it was a tradition. Not quite unlike any other, but unlike most <laughs> others. Then all of a sudden... Navy got better because they ran the triple option and Notre Dame declined. And it was a novelty for people who didn't otherwise care about the game because Navy suddenly could beat Notre Dame. Now I feel like we're getting back to this. Oh, it's a tradition thing. I don't, I don't really care. I just, I just, yeah, want I, to, I, I just want that, Notre Dame I think it's the argument, the arguments for keeping it probably fire me up more than anything else because I, yeah, I'm not a big believer in Wookiee life deaths. And people that actually believe that, and although there is a ton of truth to Navy saving Notre Dame, that is, that is all true, but Notre Dame wasn't singled out. Like, we're going to go do Notre Dame a favor. It was part of this big thing going on called World War II, and <laughs> Notre Dame wasn't the only school that was involved. There was tons of other schools involved. And, of course, the U.S. military in the 1940s would want a small Catholic school right next to the Great Lakes with no women allowed on campus to be a place where they train their – I mean, the the fact that Notre Dame fans believe that Notre Dame or that Navy was doing this because they were good guys and that we owe them a favor for life because of it is beyond me. Like, I don't get that. That is ridiculous to me. Yeah, so, I mean it's 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 fine. I Villanova was there. Another, there another are team. there are five, maybe six opponents on Notre Dame's schedule this year who could legitimately beat them, and I just I'm not in any hurry to have Navy be one of them. 
<laughs> you know, I like the Navy thing again, matter of perspective. I like the Navy thing more when I know Notre Dame is going to beat Navy. Cool. Ty, thanks so much for your time. We really, we really appreciate you having, I having have you on tonight. I have one more question for you, Ty. Oh, I, apologize. I, I have to, I have to get these. This is my thing. So, and I, and I can as I'm asking you this question, I'm gonna, I'm hearing your co-host scream like through the through the abyss at me. Uh, his answer because I, I think I have a good sense of his feelings on it, but I don't think I have a good sense of your feelings. Taco versus burrito. Mm. Yeah. Um, I am. I am pro. It, again, it depends. <laughs> Generally, though, I'm probably more burrito. Yes. Oh. Yes. Okay. Another one. I'm just thinking to myself. I've never been asked this question before. Dan's more of the foodie on the show. I just sort of tag along, and, and I don't and know how to I, say and, half the food. And I'm pretty <laughs> sure he would go with taco. Oh, he definitely go taco. I think but, same views or dude. Look, people think burritos are limited to just the beef and the cheese wrapped up, but burritos can be anything. Oh, rolled up sure. neat, rolled up neatly into a nice carrying package that is clean and ready to fill you up. I'm just thinking to myself, like. If I go to a restaurant, if I go to a really good Mexican restaurant and I've been there before, and there are a couple, believe it or not, in my area, I almost always go burrito over, over the taco. See, are they handheld though? Because most Mexican restaurants don't serve handheld burritos. They don't, but you can order the sauce on the side and okay. turn them into a handheld version. But I'm, it I just always have an eye roll. I order and like, is this a handheld? No. And then my eyeballs fall off my head. Oh yeah. No, I don't care. I just, I, I try to make it the handheld version. Okay. I think if I'm at a place that I know, I usually go burrito over taco. If I'm going to a place though, that I don't know, like a food truck or some other Mexican place that, that I've heard is good. So but you I've, can see. Yeah. Like the taco is, it's a little bit less of a commitment. You eat a burrito, it's time for bed afterwards. But or three, right? But if you eat, if you eat a couple tacos, like there's still probably enough room to try some of the other things in the menu. See, the thing is here too is it's it's not like good versus evil. Tacos are great. I love tacos. Sure, but I just I just feel the burrito offers you a better overall package. It's definitely heavier. Listen, one of my prouder moments right now as a vlogger is still a few weeks away uh, where I'm going to take some tortillas up to the Notre Dame press box when yeah. we play New Mexico. And I'm going to teach Tyler James of the South Bend Tribune how to roll a burrito. This sounds this sounds like a perfect I, vlog I, post. I, he had said that he, had, he did not know how to roll a burrito. He would go that route. But yeah. he didn't know how to roll a burrito. And I said, look, man, I'll, I'll bring some tortillas up to the New Mexico game. I said, I'll, I'll teach. They, they serve chili up there every game. And one of my favorite things to do is to roll, make a Cholito, make a chili cheese burrito, roll that thing up. So I, I said, I'll, I'll, Hey, I'll show you how to do it. He mentioned it. I think in his last podcast, uh, yeah, Josh is going to come up and teach me how to roll a burrito. So that's exactly what's going on. That's a perfect blog post. Yeah, it really that, is. Well, that will be well-documented. I believe my, my burrito the story get from the old school Notre Dame press in there. Yeah. Is going to be. That, that I want to get pictures of that. <laughs> no, that'll be, that'll be. You need to take the temperature of that room. <laughs> my well, my burrito was, story. So that, it does help out. My burrito story dates back to my time in college. So I'm not a Notre Dame grad. I went to Penn State. But 
there used to be a a an establishment at Penn State, which actually is present, I think, on some other Big Ten campuses, a place called La Bamba's. Burritos big as your head, baby. Burritos as big as your head, right? And they had this hot sauce, which was just like fire, especially at 2 a.m. or 2.30 a.m. after you've been out Come doing bad. whatever all night. Great. It's like you throw that hot sauce on top of whatever else is in there, and you're, you're a glutton for punishment. But the burrito as big as your head was a staple food during my freshman and sophomore years. And, um, you know, I'm not the biggest guy in the world, but whenever I got around those burritos, I had like a hollow leg <laughs> and I would do my best to try and take the, it was, I mean, you obviously know burritos as big as your head oh, already God, yeah, man, just that, upon me saying it. Oh, and yeah. depending on like what you've got in your stomach, it's, it's either like something that you could take down no problem, or it's like trying to drink a gallon of milk one or the other. And, um, <laughs> I had, I had various experiences with the burrito as big as my head, but, um, I still remember when I think burrito, I think La Bamba's, I think burrito as big as my head. And there's, there's a certain nostalgia there. Yeah. They, they certainly target the, uh, the college town areas like Columbus. That, that's how I first knew them was they were down in Columbus. A lot of my friends went to school at Ohio state and at Capitol that affects, yeah. but Fort Wayne actually, which, yeah, uh, it's, which is now Purdue Fort Wayne instead of IPFW, but they got one right next to like one of the bigger clubs in Fort Wayne, right? Sure. But it only I mean, lasted. It only lasted for like three months, but then it, it changed over, and it was they were serving basically the same thing. It was a Mexican restaurant serving big ass burritos, but it wasn't La Bamba's, and I think they were just trying to see like if anyone noticed, and they were awful. I mm. mean, they were. You got like three pounds of like the worst thing imaginable. Yeah. And that that I think that lasted like a maybe a month, and then that, there may. That, there may still be a, uh, a La Bamba's in Columbus. I'm not sure. Oh, there, there used definitely to be. is. There definitely there used is. to be. But the two, the two interesting things about La Bamba's, and we don't have to go that too far down this rabbit hole, but <laughs> like nobody ever orders the burrito as big as their head when they're not eight drinks deep. <laughs> ever. <laughs> and, and also, nobody really orders from La Bamba's at all before they're eight drinks deep. Like I've been there <laughs> before for like lunch. Like, whoa, maybe they have, what do they have for lunch? And just, it loses the appeal when you don't have some alcohol in you. Yeah, it's definitely like the 1 a.m. Like, yeah, the, the bet it's the best option at 1 a.m. It's better than pizza. It's better than, dare I say, White Castle, although I am a huge White Castle let's guy. Not, let's not get out of hand here. Yeah, that, that, <laughs> that, that, that might be getting a little, I, and I went to school at, I went to school at Eastern Michigan, which has got white castles, like just sprinkled around all of Ypsilanti and Arbor. It's fantastic. But, uh, there, I, La Bamba's is a hard one to turn down because there is just, it packs so much. Uh, we're going to put you in a coma. You know, you're going to go to bed. Don't worry about the hangover because we're going to absorb everything you got here. Yeah. No, you, you leave it all out in the field. It's a good, heavy <laughs> way to end the night. And, Again, depends what else you got in the stomach, but yeah, the burrito as big as your head that, that goes down in, uh, in lore for me. I, I, I'm hopeful that one of these days I'll get to a campus and I could try, try my luck at it again. Although I probably shouldn't say that publicly. Um, somebody, somebody will try to make it happen. Uh, but yeah, no, that's my one, that's my one burrito. That's going to be my Twitter campaign for when you guys do hit the road. I'm yeah. just, I'm just going to constantly like, like, Hey, Somebody get Ty a burrito, a burrito right. as big as your head. Right. So no, that, that'll be a huge, uh, a huge selling point. 
All right. Ty, Ty, before Ty, we close out. Us? Go ahead. Go ahead, Jude. Yeah, I was just going to say, tell, tell us uh, where people can find you online and also remind people where they can get tickets for your for your upcoming shows. I know That's we mentioned exactly it earlier. What I was going to say. Yeah, thanks, guys. <laughs> Thank, thanks again for having me. It's, it's, it's fun. We got to do this more. Um, SolidVerbal.com is the website. We're a college football podcast. I'd love to talk more Notre Dame, but people wouldn't listen if I did. So <laughs> it's a national show. We cover all things college football twice a week. Starting, uh, I guess this week, it's yeah, been a staple week. for college football fans. If you haven't been listening, what we're, the hell is wrong with you? We're a podcast. We've been around since 2008. So check us out. Solidverbal.com. Anywhere you get your podcasts, you can find the solid verbal. And yeah, as we said earlier, we're doing, doing two live shows this year. It's the first year that we're doing two live shows in the fall, August the 17th in Dallas, August the 18th in DC. You can go to the website, solidverbal.com. And just look at the very top. There's a, a big yellow banner where you've got links to both of those ticketing sites. We'd love to meet you if you like college football. Even if you don't listen to our show, it's it's a fun night of just talking college football with um, a bunch of fans who who love college football as much as we do. So, yeah, if you're if you're not a listener to the show, or if maybe you just got nothing going on the 17th or 18th, <laughs> come on out and uh, we'd love to meet you. All right. Good stuff. Again, uh, thanks a lot, Ty. Really appreciate you coming on the show. People uh, get on uh, iTunes or Apple podcasts, whatever they're calling it nowadays, please rate and review the show. We're we're trying to, uh, we're not going to beat the South Bend Tribune with ratings. They they just passed us, uh, but they didn't throw it in my face, but uh, any rating and review you give is is great. We're, uh, we're constantly looking for some feedback as we, uh, as we all race towards the season and dive into this. Check out uh, everything we got going on over at onefootdown.com. We got you covered. So for Jude and I and Ty, go Irish. <laughs> <laughs>